0: We do praise you because you have been faithful to us, and Lord, we ask that you would help us understand the Bible and passages we just read to be better able to follow you in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. I have a friend who, after the last presidential election, she told an acquaintance of hers who she voted for, and the acquaintance said, you voted for him, but I thought you were a Christian. And what's great is half of you right now are thinking she meant one candidate, and half of you are thinking she meant the other one. We're going to continue our series sermon series called The Book of First Opinions, about all of those opinions we all have that we are just sure somewhere in the Bible, but that actually aren't anywhere in Scripture. And one of the ones that's in the news a lot lately is the idea that Jesus is a Republican, or, depending on your politics, a Democrat, I suppose. Now, we all know that technically there's no verse in the Bible that says Jesus is Republican or Democrat. There were no such things in the Bible. But still in all, most of us harbor somewhere in our minds this notion that, well, Jesus would back our politics, that really we're pretty in touch with what God would want politically. And so we assume that Jesus would back our political opinions. But the passages that we just read in Scripture are interesting because they show that Jesus and his followers absolutely refused to be dragged into the political arguments of their time. They just wouldn't do it. When the Pharisees asked Jesus about one of the biggest political hot potatoes of the day, should they pay taxes to Rome, Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. Now, on one hand, I suppose you could say that was a response worthy of any politician since he doesn't actually answer the question. But I think what Jesus is doing is he's trying to point to something much deeper, much more important than politics. And that is the kingdom of God. And it's the same thing when he's talking to Pilate and he says, Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. Now, sometimes people interpret that to mean that Jesus is saying his kingdom isn't here on earth, it's in heaven. But that's not what he says. Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. He doesn't say my kingdom is not in this world. In other words, his kingdom, what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, comes from heaven, but it is meant to be lived out here on earth. Now let me define that phrase, kingdom of God, because it can be kind of hard to define. The simplest definition would be the kingdom of God is wherever and whenever God is king. Wherever and whenever God's will, God's agenda, God's priorities are getting done. The kingdom of God is not a geographical country. It's not something a political party could ever enforce. The kingdom of God is when God's will is happening. As I've said to you in the past, the kingdom of God is always about at least three R's. It is about reconciliation between us and God and us and each other restoration of us and this world to what God intended it to be, and all of that causes rejoicing. The kingdom of God is when two people are angry at each other and they humbly confess how they've hurt the other person and they're reconciled. The kingdom of God is when someone cares for someone else who is sick or dying and does it in the name of Jesus so that people can get to know the God who loved them enough to die for them. The kingdom of God is when the poor are given the tools they need to climb out of poverty in Jesus' name. Or when people who don't know God start a relationship with Him through Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus talked about this thing called the kingdom of God more than He talked about anything else. More than He talked about sex, more than He talked about money, more than He talked about religion, and certainly more than He talked about politics because Jesus didn't talk about politics. Now, I want to be clear, I I am not saying that politics isn't important. It is. In fact, I love politics. In fact, I come from a very political family. When I was growing up, my father and his whole extended family were all diehard, McGovern voting, liberal Democrats. And my mom and her whole side of her family were solid Richard Nixon supporting Republicans. So in my family, arguing politics is what we do for sport. Other families go skiing or sailing together. We argue politics. In fact, some of my fondest childhood memories are political. One time my Republican grandmother put a vote for Nixon bumper sticker on my Democrat father's car. and He drove it around for days before he noticed it. I thought he was going to die of a heart attack. So to get her back... The next time we were visiting my mom's family, my my mom was pregnant. And as we were getting in the car to leave, her whole family was standing around to say goodbye to us. And one of them asked my parents what they were going to name the baby if it was a girl. Without missing a beat, my dad said to my mom's very Republican family, Jacqueline Eleanor. (laughs) Just drove away with their mouths all hanging open. (laughs) This brings joy in my family. This is the kind of thing we do for fun. I love politics, and I have some very strong political opinions, which I'm not going to tell you. That way, you can all just imagine that I share your political views 100%. And the great thing about that is for the first and only time, I'll have managed to make all of you happy all at once. Besides, it's not my job to tell you how to vote. It's my job to tell you about Jesus and let you figure out the rest. Politics is important, but not as important as Jesus. And I love this country, and I want the best for this country, but I love Jesus more. And I am a citizen of His kingdom first. And His kingdom exists in every country, whenever and wherever His will gets done. And He asks those of us who take the name Christian not necessarily to advance a political position, but to build His kingdom with Him. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't lovingly advocate for our Christian ideals and our Christian values in the marketplace of ideas. Of course we do. That's part of being part of this country. And I'm certainly not saying that how we vote doesn't matter. It does matter. And we need to do our best to vote our Christian convictions. But we also need to realize that both political parties are human institutions and are inevitably, inevitably compromised. My study of... Scripture leads me to believe that Jesus would find some things to praise in both the Republican and the Democratic parties. And I think he'd find some things to criticize in both parties as well. It is not possible to vote 100% the way Jesus would vote because Jesus is not a Republican and Jesus is not a Democrat. Now, at this point, my wife said I should try to freak you out and insist that Jesus was a libertarian, but I value my job. (laughs) Jesus is about the kingdom of God. And it's to Jesus and his kingdom that we owe our highest allegiance. I know a woman who sometimes refers to her house as the embassy. She says, because that's what it is. I am a citizen of another kingdom. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And my job is to represent God here. What a great way to look at ourselves as ambassadors from another kingdom. Ambassadors from God in our culture. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like yeast, and our job as Christians is to be like yeast in the bread. And in yeast, you can't taste it very much; it doesn't call attention to itself. Yeast doesn't take over the bread, but just a little bit can make the whole loaf rise. In our jobs, schools, neighborhoods, our job is not to call attention to ourselves or tell people what God's political views are. We're called to be like yeast. Entering the culture, serving the culture, making the culture rise. And theologically speaking, this is what Jesus did, right? He came from heaven to earth and began to transform culture within it. Not from without, but within it. And if you really want to change the world, that's way more effective anyway. I mean, we could vote for all the right people. We could pass all the laws we wanted to in Washington, D.C., but folks are still going to be folks. And poverty, crime, wars, the degradation of our culture, you name it, it's all still going to keep going on until the human heart is changed and only Jesus can change the human heart. Plus, it's just way more rewarding to be part of building God's kingdom. Winning a political victory is thrilling, but partnering with God and reversing the effects of the fall, that is transforming. And the joy is deeper and it lasts longer. And one of the reasons I just love being part of this church is because God is doing exactly that through all of you. Y'all are making such a big difference in our world. Many of you tutor for KidReach, either here in our church or at Stevenson or Jubilee Reach. You are helping to build the kingdom of God by giving underprivileged children the tools they need to thrive, and you're doing it in Jesus' name. Tomorrow we'll all have a chance to have just a little bit of taste of the kingdom of God at our Martin Luther King Day celebration. One of the first signs that the kingdom of God had come in Scripture was that Jews and Gentiles who had hated each other for centuries were suddenly calling each other brother and sister in Christ. Tomorrow night we'll get a chance to worship God alongside our African-American brothers and sisters and have just a little taste of the kingdom. Through your participation in the ripple effect, hundreds of kids a year are going to be taken off the streets in Rwanda and pulled out of a life of poverty and given hope because of you. And to me, to be part of all that, that's just fun. That's just thrilling. Last week, my Bible study group and I volunteered at the Jubilee Reach Center in their after-school program. and, And we were playing basketball with the junior high boys who were shockingly better at it than we were. Even the ones under five feet were better than we were. So it was very humbling. But it was also just so much. I just had so much fun. In fact, every time I go out to the Jubilee Reach Center, I get a little bit choked up. Because I see some of the 300 people that center is reaching. And I realize God's doing that through us. And it is an honor to be a part of it. Now, there are all kinds of political implications in all of those things. But more importantly, those things have kingdom significance. And nobody's seeing our politics. They're just seeing reconciliation, restoration, and rejoicing. They're seeing the kingdom of God. I have a good friend who has worked in Washington, D.C. for over 20 years with some of the most powerful people in our country. And he's also worked in the White House for one of our recent two-term presidents. I'll let you guess which one. And one time I was in Washington while he was working in the White House, and he invited me to have lunch with him in the West Wing. Now remember, when I was in fifth grade, I had my weird fascination with U.S. presidents. So lunch in the West Wing is like a dream come true for me. So I put on my best suit and, you know, I got thoroughly investigated before I could walk through the gate. And, and then my friend took me into the West Wing, gave me a tour of the whole West Wing. The president was out, so I even got to poke my head in the Oval Office and I couldn't sit in a little presidential chair and twirl around, though. He wouldn't let me do that. But I got to see it and I got all these cool souvenirs. I, I mean, I got, a, I got a little book. I got to keep the West Wing menu. I even got a special box of presidential M&M's. I kid you not, there are M&Ms with little presidential seals stamped on them. Your tax dollars at work. (laughs) But render unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? It was so cool. But you know what? When I think of my friend, that lunch in the West Wing is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Instead, it's the kingdom things that he's done that comes to my mind. Like when we were sophomores at the University of Washington, and three times a week we'd show up at University Presbyterian Church at seven thirty in the morning to pray together. And we shared a lot of praises and we shared a lot of struggles, and I remember experiencing God's presence in some powerful ways. That's the kingdom of God. Another time I remember running into my friend on a street corner late at night as I was walking home and, and it looked like he was trying to hide from me and So, of course, my first thought was, ooh, what's he doing wrong that he feels the need to hide? But instead, what I caught him doing was buying dinner for a homeless man, and not only buying it for him, but sitting there and talking with him to give that man dignity. He was living out Jesus' command to bring good news to the poor. That's the kingdom of God. Years later, when I was living in Atlanta, I called to tell him that I was getting a divorce, and he listened to me, and he cried with me, and he prayed with me, and then he said, hey, why don't you drive up to Washington this week? I'll take the week off from work, and his job's pretty important, so we'll just hang out, we'll just have a good time. So that's what I did, and he was one small piece of starting a healing process in me that was going to restore my broken heart. When I think of my friend, I think of the fact that even though he works long hours for important people, he often tutors at-risk kids at his church, as many of you do. And one night, he drove one of the teenagers home to a rough neighborhood in Washington, D.C., and And when they got to a certain street, the teenager said, you better let me out here because you're white and if you go into my neighborhood, it's going to be trouble for you. And my friend said, that's ridiculous. Not only drove the kid to his house, but met the teenager's friends and they had a great conversation. He had a great conversation with them about race and God and the love of Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. And some of those things have political implications and some don't. But all of those moments are kingdom moments. And I believe that when my friend dies and when he stands before Jesus and Jesus draws back the curtain of time and says, let's review your life and see those places where you were really tracking with me. I don't think Jesus is going to point to the times that that my friend uh, wrote an editorial for the New York Times or Jesus isn't going to point to some book he's written or some speech he wrote for the president. I don't think Jesus is going to point to the times my friend has worked with prominent politicians to craft public policy that affects millions. I don't think it's going to be the clout he wields or the policies he's formulated that Jesus is going to point to. I think Jesus is going to point to the times when my friend prayed with someone, brought good news to the poor, helped to heal a broken heart, and bound up up some of the wounds of racial hatred. Because those things have eternal value and it's those things that ultimately change the world so how can you be part of building god's kingdom yes we need to vote our christian convictions to the best of our abilities and absolutely we need to advocate lovingly our christian values in the marketplace of ideas of course but then how can we do the really important thing which is to partner with god in redeeming this world You know, the early Christians transformed Rome. But they didn't do it by marching on Rome. They didn't do it by taking over the Roman Senate or forming political action committees. They did it because they managed to put Jews and Gentiles together in the same community. And nobody had seen racial reconciliation before, and so everyone wanted to know, who is this Jesus that makes it possible? They sacrificially gave some of what they had to care for the poor and for the sick and for the dying. And the world had never seen that kind of self-sacrificing compassion. And they wanted to know this Jesus that made it possible. The early Christians transformed Rome because they treated men and women as having equal worth in a world where women were considered less valuable than a cow. And the world had never seen human beings treated with that kind of grace before. And they wanted to know this Jesus that made it possible. And gradually that coarse and vulgar culture began to change. And gradually fewer and fewer people went to the Colosseums to see the gladiator games and orgies began to fall out of fashion. And crucifying people didn't seem exciting anymore, it just seemed cruel and hospitals were formed, and and then schools, and all of that continued for 300 years until the Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome, and then all of that political power suddenly seemed to zap the life out of the new movement. Because then as now, Christianity thrives best when it is not in power. Maybe that's because we serve a crucified God, or because we follow the one who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Or because in the upside-down logic of the kingdom, we are actually at our strongest when we are weak and relying on God. And maybe it's because Jesus didn't come to launch a political solution to human ills because there is no such thing. He came to start a community called the church. A community that would carry his transforming presence into the world and change it one person at a time. You know, every empire eventually falls, eventually. The Roman Empire, gone. Gone. The Emperor Nero, gone. Just like one day the Democratic and Republican parties, and yes, even the United States itself, one day eventually will be gone. Because the powers that be will soon become the powers that have been. But Jesus and his kingdom will go marching on and on and on. Without any political power at all, 11 fishermen who said they saw a dead man raised Change the world, not through politics, not through power, but because if you told them to be quiet, they kept spreading the message. Throw them in prison, they'd convert the jailer. Whip them, they'd sing hymns. Starve them, they'd share what little they had with other people. Persecute them, they'd be filled with joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. Hate them, they'd love you back. Exclude them out, they'd invite you in. Kill them, and a hundred more would rise to take their place. What are you going to do with people like that? You can't stop them because it's just too infectious. And this is how the world is changed. Not by might, not by power, not by politics, but by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Changing the world one human heart at a time because of the ways that we, his followers, love others and serve in his name. So what do you say we just keep on with that? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to build your kingdom, your way, not our way. Lord, we confess that we don't always know how to do that and that we don't always do it right, but Lord, we ask your grace and your power to help us be on track with what you're doing in the world. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.